Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible. Book of Exodus, I will be reading Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. Exodus 19, that's 1 through 9. I'm not reading all those chapters right now, just 1 through 9. Just listen to me, don't look at that. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the day that they came into the wilderness of Sinai, they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, You shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said... All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, so that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. The word of the Lord. From Mount Sinai. Let's pray. Father, we have already heard from you. This morning as you have risen up within our hearts, within our midst, and through our voices, the holy gospel of your Son, Jesus. For you are our God and our salvation. You have made us a people, priests, a holy nation, through your Mount Sinai mercy, which our Lord Jesus purchased. So let us see it. Let us feel it. Let us love it this morning to the glory of your name. Amen. So, this is week 17 now in our series, God's Purpose in Redemptive History. 
We have seen that God came to one man, Abraham, and made him a promise that this land of Canaan on the Mediterranean Sea, going eastward to the Jordan and beyond, God promised He would give that land to Abraham's descendants after him. And then He renewed the promise with Abraham's son Isaac, And then He renewed it to Isaac's son, Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Israel, where Jacob has 12 kids. And those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And at the end of the book of Genesis, they end up in Egypt. Not having a clue that they're going to remain in Egypt for over 400 years. While that promise of possessing that land that Abraham was a sojourner in, just remained dormant. And now they're enslaved. And then God brought forth the promise, starting by calling Moses out in the wilderness after he was there for 40 years fleeing from Pharaoh so that after a long dark night of Israel's soul God says it's time it's time to bring my promise about and he does it through his servant Moses We saw last time the ten plagues and then God brings Israel hundreds of thousands if not a couple million of them through the Red Sea on dry ground and drowning the enemy behind them. And then they go into the wilderness and move for a week. And then three weeks During that time, God is feeding them miraculously from heaven with the manna. He's giving them water out of a rock. And now six weeks pass, and then eight, and then ten, and then twelve. And they have traveled about 150 miles, and they come to the base of a mountain called Mount Sinai. And it is right there that God then makes a covenant with Israel to confirm and to undergird the covenant He already made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their forefathers. And so as you look at the book of Exodus right there, starting with chapter 19, from chapter 19 all the way through chapter 34, it is concerned with the making of this covenant. We call it the Mosaic Covenant after Moses. The covenant God made with Israel through Moses at Mount Sinai. That's our topic. So there are three things we want to look at concerning the Mosaic Covenant this morning. First, we want to look and just watch it happen. Look at the drama of how it's laid out in Exodus how God made this covenant with them. Secondly, we want to ask the question, what is this covenant? I mean, co- covenants has, have promises 
oaths and conditions. And so what are the, the conditions and the promises that make up the Mosaic Covenant? And then I'm going to close with, how do you preach Jesus through the books of Moses and the Mosaic Covenant? And the answer is easily. Because Jesus is all over it. The Gospel is embedded in it. That's where we're going. So first, let's look at the historical context of God enacting this covenant with Israel. How did it come about? And we're going to work our way through chapter 19 all the way to 34 and point out the major features that's going to give us the feel for this. So starting in chapter 19, verse 3, Moses goes up into Mount Sinai by himself the first time. And we read in verses 5 and 6 what God gives to him. And here's the general terms of the covenant that God gives. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so Moses gets it. He goes down the mountain and he repeats what God says to the people. And all the people say, we will do what you say we are to do. We're with you, God. Moses says, all right. He goes back up the mountain. He tells God, they're all in. And then God says to Moses in verse 9 of chapter 19. Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you, Moses, forever. And then in verses 10 to 15, God tells Moses, go down and consecrate the people. Because in three days, I am going to descend in a cloud and fire and lightning upon the mountain. Tell them to come up to it. But don't go up the mountain. God says, Moses, come up here again. And He says, again, Moses, go down there. Warn the people not to try to come up here. So that they won't be killed. And the people gather. And then God Himself speaks to the people in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, and He gives them the Ten Commandments. Have no other gods before me. Do not make any Images of me or any kinds of gods do not carry about the name 
Yahweh, your Lord, your God, in vain. Keep holy the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against anybody. You shall not covet your neighbor's stuff. This was happening with physical manifestations of fire and lightning and thunder. And so, the people as a whole were terrified at the voice of God Himself. And so they pleaded with Moses in chapter 19, verse 19. You speak to us, Moses, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. And so Moses goes back up the mountain, and he draws near to the presence of God And God then lays out the rest of the ordinances that He has to give to the people. And then you look at chapter 21, 22, and 23, there they are. That's what God said to Moses. Beyond the Ten Commandments and the unfolding of them and laws of slavery, etc., are laid out. And then, in chapter 24, verse 3, Moses reports all of these ordinances to the people. Okay, and again, they say in verse 3, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then Moses writes all those words down in a book. And then he builds an altar. And then he sacrifices oxen on the altar. And he seals the covenant with blood. And then God says in chapter 24, verse 9, excuse me, then the text says in 24, verse 9, then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. And then in verse 12, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait here, so that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. And so Moses went up again alone and remained. Forty days with the Lord. Then, in your book there called Exodus, in chapter 25 to verse 31, that gives the message that God spoke to Moses during those 40 days. And it's concerned mainly with the construction, the architectural construction of the tabernacle and the priestly clothing and the priesthood of Aaron and how it is to operate. So when he was done, 
God then gave Moses the two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments on them to bring them back down the mountain to the people. But you know the story? You've seen Charlton Heston. If not, it'll come on again this Easter or in one of the stations. During that time Moses was on the mountain, the people got restless over Moses, whom God used to lead us with all these miraculous signs and plagues on the Egyptians, and were freed from slavery, and the Red Sea opened up, and we walked right through. But you know what? It's been three weeks. Make us a God, Aaron. And so they collect all their jewelry, melt it down, and they construct all pagan peoples an idol and have an orgy of drunkenness around it and say this is the God that delivered us out of Egypt and Moses is ready to go down the mountain and so we read in Exodus 32 8 God says to Moses and it's funny just before this he starts saying Moses people you brought out now kind of funny he's angry because he's holy and he says to Moses they have turned aside quickly out of the way I commanded them they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said these are your gods O Israel who brought you up out of the land of Egypt? And Moses prays. He begs God not to kill them all. And when Moses comes down, he smashes the two tablets to pieces in front of the people to demonstrate that they have broken the covenant. And God says, who did not participate? Who is holy? And the tribe of Levi, we didn't. Go down there and start slaughtering your brethren. And so Levi slaughtered 3,000 Israelites. And God sent a plague among them. But He did not destroy them altogether because Moses interceded. So now the question is, what happens to the covenant? God Himself spoke the very core of it. Here you go. Here's the first two. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any kind of physical images. And that's exactly what they go. Do. They broke it before it's even completed. What are we to make of it? One thing is this. If the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant God is making with Israel through Moses, were based on the idea of works 
that you earn something from me and therefore I give it to you? Or based on the idea, okay, now you have to obey all these laws sinlessly or it's over. We know that is not the Mosaic Covenant. If it were, Israel is done with. And Moses' intercession would be for naught. But in order to show that the covenant of Moses is based on grace, God renews the covenant and He uses words in doing so that make grace as the foundation of it crystal clear. In chapter 34, verse 1, God now tells Moses to make a new set of stone tablets and to come back up to the mountain and meet with me. And Moses is up there. And then in chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, God reveals Himself. And He reveals the basis now of the renewal of the covenant. Here it is. The Lord, Yahweh, passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers, or of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation. And so then Moses in verse 9 pleads with the Lord, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. And the Lord responds in the next verse. Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And then down to verses 27 and 28 of Exodus 34, the Lord concludes this last meeting on Mount Sinai this way. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So Moses was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets 
the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And then Moses comes down the mountain. That's when his face is shining so brightly. They said, we can't look at you. Put a veil over your face. And that's the end of chapter 34. Well, Exodus is 40 chapters. So the, the next few chapters to the end of Exodus then, just tell of the actual building of the tabernacle. So that's the history of God making the covenant through Moses to the children of Israel. <coughs> so now to the second <coughs> big question. What is it? What are the promises and what are the conditions that make up the Mosaic Covenant? What does God commit Himself to? Promise. And what does He require of His covenant partner? On God's side, in the Mosaic Covenant, there are five Huge, crucial promises. The first is this. God promises that Israel will be a prized, special possession of Him. You can see it in chapter 19, verse 5. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And he says that all the earth is mine. I don't mean in the sense that I am God and I am sovereign. I am. They're all mine in one sense. No, I mean this in a very special sense in which you are mine and they are not. That's my promise to you. That Israel is promised a special relationship with God Almighty. They will have blessings beyond all the other nations. That's promise number one. Secondly, is found in chapter 19, verse 6. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. That's it. Priests. Priests have the privilege of intimate access to God. To draw near to God. As the books of Moses unfold and they come into the land, it is made clear that the Aaronic priesthood and the tribe of Levi dealing with the tabernacle, your inheritance isn't land like the rest of the tribes. Your inheritance is the Lord. And right here, the foundation of the Mosaic Covenant, all Israel is promised the privilege of being priests. 
And the third one is right there in verse 6 also. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. People. He means it at least in two senses. Because of the way the Scripture unfolds itself. One sense is Israel will be holy. The word means set apart. Taken away from and moved over here from a God's standpoint. Holy, I'm separating you for holiness over here. And one way God does this now through the rest of the law of Moses is by giving Israel particular laws that He doesn't give the rest of the world. He gives general moral laws to everybody. But to Israel, He gives them cultural laws. Don't eat lobster. In the circumcision ceremonially of your boys on the eighth day, and keeping festival, and it would cause them culturally and religiously to remain a unique people. And it worked even till today. But secondly, he meant something much deeper than that. You are to be holy, morally. Leviticus 19.2 Be holy, for I am holy. What that holiness is of God in His beauty and His perfections and His, and His worship appropriately of God, be that. That's the third. You'll be my prized possession. You'll be my priest. You'll be a holy nation. And the fourth promise of this Mosaic Covenant is that God says your enemies are my enemy. I will defend you against all your enemies, Israel. If you keep my covenant. (coughs) And then the final fifth foundational promise of the Mosaic Covenant we have already seen. I'm going to read it again. It is God's promise to be merciful and gracious to forgive iniquity and their transgressions and their sin. 34 verse 6 The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, has said this mercy and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. These are among the sweetest gospel words in the Bible. And the fact that they came from Mount Sinai and not from the New Testament. The fact that those words cloak the Ten Commandments. 
And not just the book of Romans. It shows that the message of Christ and the message of Moses are ultimately harmonious. They are the message of grace. That's the fifth promise. I will forgive your sins. And all your transgressions, this is my covenant with you. So those are the five to make you a special possession. To make you priests to worship me. Draw near to me. To make you a holy people, a holy nation. And I will fight on your behalf. Thus we will always win. And I will be forgiving your sins. And your transgressions. There's the promises. Now. All of those promises. Depend on certain conditions. Being fulfilled by the people. It's right there at the very beginning. Chapter 19, verse 5. If. Grammar lesson? <laughs> if. Clause. Means then there's a then clause. But the then clause depends on the condition of if being meant. If. You will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Then you shall experience all these blessings. So the first thing to note for thinking, therefore, is that the condition is not sinless Perfection. God knows He's dealing with a fallen human race. Embedded in His people Israel from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not playing games. The Mosaic Covenant does not teach that if you commit a sin, then you forfeit the covenant blessings once and for all, and it's over. You can't get that if you just continue to read the Bible. It says, the Lord forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin. The foundation of the covenant is grace. And therefore, when Exodus 19.5 says that Israel must obey my voice and keep my covenant, it doesn't mean they must somehow earn His blessing or become sinless. But it means they must keep themselves in an attitude to receive God's grace and His mercy and His forgiveness. They must keep themselves in a heart condition toward God. 
as sinners would do. Moses being chief. Joshua wasn't sinless. But he was saved. So the question is, what attitude is that then? And the answer is given right there in the midst of the Ten Commandments. In chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. What condition is meeting the condition of the Mosaic Covenant in having these unimaginably merciful promises? I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But, showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So Israel upholds her side of the covenant by loving the God of the covenant. And by not putting anything else in the place where God goes, not valuing other things in the heart. <coughs> That's where this love is coming from. It's not merely religion, and if I just do what this mean ogre from Mount Sinai says, it is those who love me. And then out of that love, like anything else in our lives, you don't need to talk. You just need to be watched, all of us. And ultimately, people can see what we value. Because we ultimately go after what we value. And if we value something more than everything, it shows up. And it will hear, it's those who love me. And thus obey my commandments. So that obedience cannot in any way be understood as earning Something from God apart from grace. Because the whole covenant is based on grace. Israel, I didn't slaughter you. Even after what you just did. Hold out. Mercy. Grace. See, the covenant, let me just give an illustration. It's like this. Just say, I'm a philanthropist, let's say. I'm not, it's an impossibility. But I say, for the rest of your life, all you do is swipe this card in any restaurant, any store, 
five-star restaurants, best food, or if you want to go to McDonald's, whatever you're doing day and night, that's it. There's one condition you have to meet. You, you want to continue in that blessing? Here's the condition. Enjoy the food. That's His covenant. So it's unthinkable that the command to love God could in any way be understood as a command to earn something from God. As much as if you earned the five-star meal because I enjoyed the food so much. It just doesn't compute. The love of God is the essence of faith. We have seen this in previous sermons, which is the essence of obedience. Now, if you grasp that, that's why when you look into the books of Moses, the Old Testament rebellion that when it happens is understood at its core as unbelief. The opposite of faith. The faith Jesus taught. Jesus wasn't teaching something other than the essence of faith when He said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in the field which a man found and covered up and went away and got home and sold everything he had in order to buy the field. He didn't have to say the word faith. It's a language and teachers work. They say one thing numerous ways to drive it home. And it's the same with the Mosaic Covenant. And so when Israel just rebels or rebels, or when it's a lack of faith, or when Caleb and Joshua say, what are you talking about? God said possess the land. We're going to possess the land. You don't trust Him? It's called faith. Let me give you a taste. So in the books of Moses, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 11, we read this. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not, here it is, believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 32, Yet in spite of this word, you, Israel, Moses speaks, did not believe the Lord your God. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 23 to 24, And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and take possession of the land that I have given to you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and did not believe Him or obey His voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Now, to bring crystal clear clarity to that point, I'm going to turn to the New Testament for a moment. 
to the book of Hebrews. The writer says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16, to chapter 4, verse 2, the following. Because he, as we are, is reflecting upon Israel under Moses in the wilderness. For who were those who heard God, His covenant, and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? Obviously. And with whom was He provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Yes. And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest? But to those who were disobedient. Now the Hebrew writer comments, so we see that they were unable to enter because of supply the word disobedience. But he didn't use that word. A gospel, this side of the cross guy, didn't use that word. They were not able to enter because of unbelief. That's why they disbelieved. That's why they were disobedient. That's his point. And so he goes on. Go, you got to hear it. For church, good news. That's the gospel, isn't it? The good news of forgiveness of sins and righteousness through Christ. For good news came to us as Christians. Just as it came to them under Moses. The problem was this, the message they heard did not benefit them because the message was not united by faith in those who heard. So the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the covenant that Jesus sealed with His own blood are various expressions of one great covenant of grace which is to be received by faith. So that brings me to the last point then. How do you preach Christ through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Just pay attention is how you do it. It's all over. First, think about it. As you read the books of Moses, how can so much grace be given to them under that covenant? Because it is. The Mosaic covenant, the books of Moses themselves, leave that question unanswered. It's like a mystery. It will finally be revealed, as Paul says, in Jesus Christ. It will be revealed. 
But it's like a mystery of how that's happening. I mean, how in the world can a righteous God simply forgive iniquity and transgression in sin? How can a judge just acquit the guilty? Don't ever think, oh, I know. It's because of the animal sacrifices. The animal blood could never, ever, ever take away sins. God can command them to do it. He could paint a picture of Christ through it, which He was doing. And it would be disobedient not to obey it. But He never forgave sins because of animal blood alone. Only Christ could do that. But that's remained a mystery in the books of Moses. But a few hundred years later, the prophet Isaiah got a glimpse into the future of how it would happen when he wrote, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So how could God, under the covenant of Moses, forgive sins? Answer, it's always the same. He looked ahead. Jesus was as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so from Abel on, those whom His mercy has come to bring alive to saving faith and thus forgive their sins was always based upon the atonement of Jesus Christ. The sins forgiven under the Mosaic Covenant were purchased. Historically, later, by the Lord Jesus. So here we sit, 3,400 years after the institution of the Mosaic covenant so as we read what we read here about our God and our Savior and these promises oh dear Christian know that the Lord you're seeing there is your Savior the Holy Trinity is manifest throughout Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Every forgiven sin from Adam to the end of the age was laid on the innocent Jesus who came and willingly accepted the imputation of sin upon Himself in order to uphold the glory of God and for the good of God's people. So that means if you, this day, 2018, trust Him and follow Him in the obedience of faith, then you are heirs. You're not just heirs of Abraham. Oh, you're heirs of Abraham. But you're also heirs of the Mosaic Covenant. I didn't make that up. 
Apostle Peter says that this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10. to To all the church, predominantly Gentile, some Jewish Christians, spread this epistle about. He says, church. And so it's just as relevant to us today. You are, got to hear the promises of the Mosaic Covenant. You are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for His own possession. He's quoting Exodus 19. Why are you that? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you. He's thinking Egypt. And He's applying it to us Gentile Christians down the road in our personal lives. He has called you out of darkness. Into His marvelous light. You see, once you were not a people. But now, you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy. But now, you have received mercy. There's four of the promises. Why doesn't he put in the fifth? God will fight for you. He will fight against your enemies. Why doesn't he say? Well, I submit that He does. And His application is clear. As Israel was sent to fight against their enemies, possessing the land, possess it, God went with them to fight with them to get to the victory. That's His promise. So we who believe in Jesus are to go to war. But not against flesh and blood. Not the physical killing of persons here. But a spiritual warfare against the spiritual enemy, Satan, and your own flesh and sin. Therefore, is it any wonder that the very next thing Peter does say in verse 11 is this. Beloved. Got it? You received 
God's blessing of the Mosaic Covenant through Jesus Christ. You are that, Israel. So beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to go to battle. To abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Your greatest enemy, believer, is sin and death and God's wrath. And therefore, your greatest enemy is to rebel against God forever. To rebel against His glorious promises. Your greatest enemy is to walk away from such a salvation. But if you are of the covenant, if you are in Christ, then you have become His prized possession. You have become part of His chosen people. You have become a priest unto God with access to the inner throne room. You have become separated from others in this world unto Christ as holy. And God will fight on your behalf. And thus, you cannot lose ever. God promised it. And purchased it in Jesus Christ. Hear the God of the Mosaic Covenant. I'm going to close with a, with, with a quotation. And I want you to hear the God that you hear from Mount Sinai. Speaking through the Apostle Paul. In Romans 8. Making it crystal clear to you that the promises that He gave from Mount Sinai are yours. And you can't lose. Paul says, and we, let me just, and I think Moses. Many, many others, but we know these names, okay? You only get some names in Bible, right? But there's a lot of saints. But Caleb and Joshua would be sitting right here. Yes, these guys see it. And we know that for those who... Oh, there it is. Ah, right from the Ten Commandments. Those who love God... All things work together for good 
For those who are called according to His purpose. Why? Because those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son in order that He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called to saving faith. And those whom He called to faith, He also justified and forgave their sins and imputed Christ's righteousness to them. And those whom He justified, He also, well, not yet, but He's still looking to the future, He glorified. Now here, the God of Mount Sinai, through Paul, what then shall we say to these things? If... God is for us. Israel, who could be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how in the world will He not also through Jesus give to us all things? Who who should bring a charge against God's elect? Who? Talking to every one of us in here. We're all sinners. Who love God through Jesus. If you do. Who should bring a charge against you? God chose you. It is God who justifies. Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised. Who's at the right hand of God and who indeed this very moment is interceding for us. That's even better than Moses interceding. And therefore, who in the world can separate us from the love of Christ? I ask, should tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger? How about if someone runs a sword through your belly? Nope. But instead, in all these kinds of things, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Because I, Paul, am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able To separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so, dear believers, read Exodus as one who loves God. Let's pray.
Oh, Father, it is amazing that in light of what we have seen this morning and the terror and the fear appropriate of sinners to Your manifest presence on Mount Sinai could together and here call You Father. Abba, because of your mercy, sending your Son and sending the Spirit of your eternal Son into our hearts, causing us to cry out, Abba, Father, you are good. Your presence is good. May we in our remaining time, in a way Moses couldn't fathom, draw near to you together. Amen.